I have learned most of what I've learned about leadership through failure. Uh, I think that's the way you learn how to lead stuff is by failing a whole bunch, and then eventually you kind of get it, right? And as many of you know, I was um, in a band growing up, and uh, it's amazing how many similarities there are to being a church and being a band. Um, If you've ever been in a band, you can relate to that, I'm sure. Um, But I was in this band, right? And we started out, and we were really young, and... We thought, incorrectly, that we were a unified band, right? Because we were really good friends and we got along, we were nice to each other, and we all were unified in an agreement that we wanted to write music and make money and play shows, and we wanted to do all of those things. We wanted to, you know, take over the world and, and get on MTV and all that. I mean, we, we were a unified unit in our pursuit of being a band. And we were like best friends, loved being around each other, and it was awesome. And so we started this thing thinking, well, we're a unified group of people. But we learned down the road several years later that, in fact, in many ways, we were not unified. And I just want to say that we're all still friends to this day, and we're good friends. We learned a lot. But we learned as we began walking down this journey together that We were unified in terms of we liked each other and we wanted to do music, but we weren't unified in terms of things like faith and values and how the money was split. Money is an evil thing, I mean, in some way. I mean, it's not always evil, but it it, it just divides people, you know? And it turns out things like we didn't agree on what it really meant to be a Christian and and how important that was in our music. We didn't really agree on um, this crazy idea that maybe the more you work, the more of the money that you get, right? Uh, we didn't agree on that, but ultimately it was my fault as a leader because I, I didn't explain things up front, and I allowed there to be this kind of shallow, surface-level understanding of what it meant to be unified. You see, this morning what we're going to talk about is the reality that unity has depth. Especially in the church, unity has a whole lot of depth. And I think that Paul in Ephesians 4 is going to show us this this morning because here's what I think we think. Well, we get along and we're nice to each other. And I'm going to be honest, like, I love you guys and you love me and we're all really good friends. And like, it's a really peaceful time for the church and things are going well. And, you know, we say hi to each other. There's no tension. There's no one out there that I don't get along. I mean, it's a really cool time in so many ways, right? But we have to remember, and I think Paul is going to tell us this today, that unity goes beyond just being nice to each other. You see, unity comes down to are we unified in our mission as a church? Are we unified in our gifting as a church? Are we unified in our desire to grow? And what I hope to show you this morning is the, is the depth of, of unity and how it goes beyond just being nice to one another. And, and, and at the heart of who we are and what we're trying to do, are we unified? So turn with me to Ephesians 4 this morning, starting in verse 1. Uh, we've got a lot of text we're going to cover this morning, and uh, as many of you know, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I know I feel like I say that a lot, but I really mean it about this. In fact, I realized that the first sermon I ever preached at White Oak was on this text two years ago, before I was even working here at the church. And um, I went back and looked at my notes, and I just threw them out, because it was like, no. So I hope to do a better job this morning. 
um, and opening what this means um, with you guys. So stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 4 together as Paul writes to his church about the depth of unity within the church. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1, going to 16. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended, this is Jesus, on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended, Jesus, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I know God's going to bless this word this morning. Maybe seated at this time. Man, this is a long text, but it's a really, really, really good text this morning. Let's dive right in. In verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Before I ask you to be unified as a church in our mission, in our gifting, in love, and in kindness, I want to do something the church, sometimes we're not all that good at. We tell you what to do, but we don't tell you why to do it. Okay, we'll say, hey, this is what you need to do and follow all these rules. And we say that, but we don't explain the why, okay? And I think Paul does that in the first verse. He says, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what Paul is saying here is that ultimately we are called to the hope of the gospel. And because by the work of Jesus and his atoning work on the cross that dealt with our sins, because he paid for our sins, because Jesus unified us with God the Father, we are now called to be unified with God and unified with one another, okay? So because we follow a God who who unifies people, we should be a united people. That is the only calling that matches what Christ called us to do, okay? So if we are people who have been brought near to God, it doesn't make sense for us to live life disconnected from people, 
Okay, if Christ loves sinners, then we are to love sinners, okay? And so he says what we need to do is be unified, but he says ultimately because it matches up with the calling to what we have been called, to what Christ has done for us. However, there is depth in unity. And the first one is obvious. We must be unified in love. Verses, one, verses 2 through 3 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I'm not going to spend all that much time on this one because I'm going to be honest with you. I know we're not perfect. I know we have work to do. That, that's part of the Christian life. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think in a lot of ways, the same way I'm going to um, tell you what I think we need to do better at. It wouldn't be fair for me to do that and not tell you what I think we're doing good at. I really do think as a church, I think we're working hard to be patient with each other. And, and, and I'll be honest, as a pastor of this church, I feel very loved by you, okay? And I hope and pray that you feel very loved by me. That doesn't mean that we agree on everything. That doesn't mean that we think the same things about everything or we don't disagree at times, but we do so in gentleness and patience and in love, okay? And this past year for me, honestly, has been surprisingly peaceful, and it's been encouraging. And so I want to say, I love you guys. And so before I chew you out later on in the sermon, I want to say congratulations. I think we're doing a good job today. I want to balance it out. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that bad. I'm going to close with the gospel. So however bad you feel, it's going to be all right in the end. So, um, But one thing I want to say before we continue on is, um, I love when I read this, I, what kept coming to my mind when I read verses 2 through 3 was Galatians 5, through 23, the fruits of the Spirit. It's very similar. Uh, Paul, the same author in Galatians 5, says, But the fruit of the Spirit, meaning where the Spirit is at work, when the Spirit is doing something, when it's producing fruit, what you will find is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You ever met somebody and... They're just like the most encouraging, loving, joyful person, and you immediately know, like, you're a Christian, aren't you? You ever met somebody like that? And they'll oftentimes throw in a word like, bless you or something, like that kind of Christian language, and you're like, oh, you're giving me hints. I know. I can sense it. We're called first to be unified in love. Before we can do anything else, um, I honestly believe as a church, we have to get along. And what that requires is patience and love, even when it's hard. If it was easy, we wouldn't need patience, would we? I think we forget that. If it was easy, we wouldn't be called to patience and understanding of other people. But because we're different, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, we need to bear with one another in love. Um, And I think Paul intentionally mentions this first, because before we can be unified in our mission or our gifts, we have to be friends, right? We have to love each other. Look to your neighbor and say, um, I love you for me. Do that for me. I don't usually do this kind of thing. All right, now bring it back in. A practical application, right? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get a practical application for the sermon. So that's the part I think that we're doing good at. But number two, turn with verse four to me. Ephesians four, verse four. I want you to look here with me. In verse 4, Paul says this. He's kind of very clear about this one point. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. Once we are unified in love, we must then become unified in our mission as a church. 
And I like this sermon because it enables me to go back to the very basics to explain it. And so if you're, if you're new to the church, this morning's going to make sense to you and it's going to be good for you. Because once we get along and once we realize that we have been saved by God's grace and that we are a redeemed people and our, our sins are no more, what you quickly realize is that you're still in the midst of a broken and messed up world. And so we have been loved by God, we have been forgiven, and the question now becomes, so now as a redeemed person, how am I to live and interact with this broken world? And my question to you today is, what are you going to do with the broken world that is around you? Does God want those people to hear the hope of the gospel, the one hope which Paul says? Does God want people to hear that hope? Does God want people to hear that hope? Yes. And as a church, we come together with one mission, which is to take that one hope that Paul says to the world, to your neighbor, to foreign countries, to the grocery store, to your workplace, to your family, to your friends. And what happens often is we're really nice to each other and we get along, but are we unified in our mission and the church, do we really believe that there is one hope? And what is that hope? Is that one hope a really good church service? Is that one hope, um, you know, doing things like we feel like they were always done so that America doesn't become any more corrupt? Is that the one hope, right? Is the one hope the Constitution, as wonderful of a document as it is? Is, is the one hope um, morality and, and not doing a bunch of sins? Or is the one hope the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he said in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of that one hope in every corner of the world. You see, we can be kind to each other, but the goal of the church is not to be a bunch of people who get along, is it? The goal of the church is to make disciples. The goal of the church is to be unified in our mission. And this is where it gets kind of tough. Uh, there's a movie that extols all kinds of Christian virtue and principles. It's called Ocean's Eleven. You ever seen it? I'm just kidding. It doesn't extol Christian principles. Um, but Ocean's Eleven, it's one of those unique movies where somehow they find a way to make the good guys the thieves in the movie. Like, right, like, like, the, like they make you root for the bad guys. It's, it's kind of a really weird movie. But there's one scene that I think really illustrates, it's always on TV, it's always on TNT and TBS, but there's one scene that really illustrates this point, I think, and it's when uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt are talking, and they're like the two ringleaders of this operation, right? And they're going to knock off this casino because they're thieves, it's what they do for a living, and they're going to make a whole bunch of money. And they're having this conversation, and a problem arises because their mission was to knock off a casino, which is not a good thing, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. But there's this problem because they find out in the middle of the movie that George Clooney, who was one of the ringleaders of the whole operation, it turns out that this casino he just so happened to want to rob is owned by a man who is dating his estranged wife. And Brad Pitt, it's a wonderful movie, a phenomenal cast. I mean, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, Bernie Mac, it's awesome, right? And Brad Pitt essentially says, look, George Clooney, you have compromised this whole operation because what happens if you can't have the money and the girl both? What happens if you have to choose? You see, you have a compromise of your mission. And so he says, hey, look, man, you're out. 
Because he compromised the mission. And what we do in the church is we have all these different ideas of what we want to do. I want this and I want that. And, and what happens when making disciples begins to kind of be at odds with maybe our comfort? Or, or what happens when, when sharing the message of Christ kind of begins to kind of push up on our, our preferences? And what happens when... Um, being a church that is willing to do what, anything short of sin to reach the world around it, what happens when it has to engage people very, very differently from them that are not in your socioeconomic status or your ethic or your, uh, your ethnicity or, or, or they're just flat different than you? You see, if we're not united in our mission as a church, then might I submit to you that that we're not really unified. And what I believe Paul says is that we are to be patient and loving and gentle with each other, but we are called to the one hope. And and this morning, we are here gathered today. You are sitting in that chair, and I am up here because of the one hope, which is in the gospel, which says that you don't have to do anything. You simply have to place your faith in Christ, and then he gives you his spirit, and then by him, we can begin to share this hope with the entire world. You see, unity has depth. We cannot have different missions because there is only one hope and one faith and one Lord and one baptism. And then turn me to verse 7. We're moving along here. And this is the part of the text where it can get a little confusing. Um, If you're just reading through Ephesians, uh, this might not make sense, so I want to explain it for you. Um, I'm going to read 7 through 12 here really quick just to try to um, make sense of it for you. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says he, which is Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then in verse 9, in saying that he ascended, so Christ ascended to be with God the Father in heaven, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, which is the earth? And so he, Jesus, who descended to earth is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And so what Paul is saying here is uh, back in his day, spiritual gifts and, and things of the, of the spiritual reality would have been associated with heaven, okay? And the earth was oftentimes viewed as a very, very separate place. In some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. And what he is saying is, hey, look, th- those, those heavenly gifts, those beautiful heavenly realities have in part come to earth because Christ has literally, through his spirit, has given each one of us who are Christians spiritual gifts. Do you realize that? that you have gifts, that, that you have things that you can do that maybe I can't do, or maybe, um, you know, Justin can't do, or Chris Branson or Janice. Like, like, they are wonderful people, and they can do a lot of cool things, but there are literally things that you can do that, that we can't do. And I love this because what Paul says is that we must be unified in the diversity of our gifts, and this is where it gets messy, and I've seen this, because people are different than you, and so what that means is that they, they serve the body in different ways that might be uncomfortable to you. And I, and I think, and I'm guilty of this, like everybody else is, I, I kind of want everyone to be like me, which is first a form of, I think, self-righteousness. But I think 
we forget that people that are very different than us are very, very necessary. And Paul says, look, he's given the church the apostles who kind of stir things up in the church, the prophets who are close to God's heart and know what God wants, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So God has given people with all these different gifts into the church that we would build each other up in love, in unity, working together, that we would build something here at every church in the world, but right now specifically White Oak, that we would build each other up to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. And what happens is we can be unified in love and we can like each other and be really good friends, and that's awesome. And we can be unified in our mission, which is kind of our, what we're supposed to be doing. But then we get to the part of the gifts, which this is how we achieve that mission. Okay, you can have a mission, but if you don't know how to achieve it, then, you know, what's the use? And this is where things can get messy. Because people are different than us, and they might want to change certain things because they see something that we don't see. And we begin to have issues with that. Um, I went to... Canada this summer for the first time, and it was really, really awesome. And I had the, the privilege of doing something that absolutely terrified me, because I have the biggest fear of heights that anybody has ever had. I guarantee you my fear of heights is so much worse. I'm just a wimp. I'm just honest about it. I'm working through it, but it's not really helping. Um, and I got to go across this thing called the Capilano Suspension Bridge. I got a picture of here. Okay. This is the best picture I could find, but it's a pretty good picture. Anyway, so this is a a suspension bridge across a a river that runs through two mountains up in Canada. And at the very lowest part, right in the middle, it's 230 feet above a rocky, watery death, okay? It's... And, and, it's, and it's a suspension bridge. Get this. It's, it's, it's not a bridge. It's a suspension bridge. That's an important note because that means it moves, right? So you're walking across, and it's, it's like moving the whole time, and it's not steady. And you're on this bridge, I kid you not, with, I mean, that's a, I mean there's maybe six people on there right now. When I was there, it was a busy, I guess, touristy time. There was like 60 people at a time on this bridge. And so we're walking over this 230-foot drop on the Capilano Suspension Bridge, and it was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. I've got a picture up here of me. Uh, don't be fooled by the, the Coca-Cola advertisement. I'm absolutely terrified. Actually, my face shows it, okay? Um, but anyway, that's proof that I'm there. I'm not making this up. Okay, you can go back to the picture. So that's me on the bridge. Or you can leave it up there, whatever, whatever it was. So that's work. Anyway, so I walked across this bridge, and when I to like the halfway point where it was like, like I was like slanted and it was like moving and, and towards the middle of the bridge because it's close from the sides, it's when it's the shakiest, right? And so, I mean, you're literally like this and you're walking and when you're about halfway through, you're like, I'm an idiot. It's just, it's official. Like what, why, why do people do these kinds of things? Why do we want to walk across a bridge over a 230 foot drop to death just to say that we did that? But let me tell you what you don't ask when you're walking across the Capilano Suspension Bridge. You know what you don't ask? You know, gee, I wonder what is the most important part of this bridge. Gee, I, I wonder, you know, is, are, are the wood planks that, that you walk on, are those more important than the bolts that bring the wood planks together and the rope that ties the wood planks together? Man, I, I wonder, is it the rope that I'm holding on to as I'm walking across? Is that the most important part? Is this part really a necessary part of the suspension bridge? Man, I wonder, is the, is the little um, 
there's a little gate that kind of keeps me locked in as I'm walking through so I don't fall out through the sides. Is that the most important part of the bridge? Is that a really necessary part of the, the Capilano suspension bridge? No. And if anybody were to ask you, you know, do you just want to get rid of some of the parts of this bridge? Is that okay? I mean, are they really essential? Are they really necessary? What would you say? You say no. And, and what if we viewed gifts in the church like this? What if we really thought that every gift was just as important as another gift? What if we thought that every gift in the church mentioned all throughout Scripture, you've got five listed right here, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, all of which ton of you have these gifts on your life. You might not know it, but you have it on your life. What if we thought that all of these gifts were life or death for our church? But we... We elevate certain gifts. And we think that we can do without the gift of encouragement. You know, as I've been serving in the church in a, in a leadership role, I have so deeply been reminded of the, the life-giving power of the people who have the gift of encouragement. Those of you that have encouragement, I love you and I'm thankful for you. You mean a lot to me. You mean a lot to this church. And, and I guarantee you, you are just as important as a teacher. You are just important as a shepherd or an evangelist. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. Chapter 12, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every single one of us have gifts. We have to determine what those are and deploy them in the local church. Determine and deploy see, our diversity finds unity in our mission. Our, our diversity of gifts finds a unified body in our mission. So if we're unified in our mission, right, and we've got something to do, we've got a hope to carry to the world, now we've got to find a way to unify, unify this church, get everybody on board, find what we're good at, find how we can serve, get us together, and unify our diversity because we have something that we have to do. Those of you who play sports or you know about the military, you understand the, the value of diversity. You see, unity has depth. And part of that depth is realizing that we have to find a way to be unified in our differences and the gifts that God has given us to accomplish our mission. And the last thing is this. We must be unified in our pursuit of maturity. We must be unified in our pursuit of maturity. I'm kind of running out of time, so I won't read this whole thing, but Paul says that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. All right, Wadok, here we go. Um, this... I'm going to be honest. I think in a lot of ways, we're really, 
doing well, at accomplishing what Paul calls us to do. And this is the, the part of, I guess, like the, the challenge. Really, I'm going to gripe at you, but we call that a challenge in pastoral language, right? Um, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to really gripe at you, but I think one of the things that, that, that's been tough for us this past year, and I'm just going to throw this out there, and this is, only, this is not for visitors. If you're new to the church, this is not directed towards you at all. I think sometimes the church, we struggle to be unified in this area. The question isn't just, do we get along? Are we nice to each other? Are we friendly? Do we shake each other's hands? Do we get coffee together? Do we know what we're supposed to be doing? Are we, as White Oak, are we unified in a desire to grow in our faith? Is every person that is a committed part of this body, are we committed and unified towards going deeper with Christ, and are we like, excited about the ways that we can be obedient to him and take that next step? Are we coming in here every Sunday saying, man, what's that next step? What do I got to do? I want to dive into God's word. I want to grow in prayer. I want to I find how to engage this, this community with the gospel. Are we, are we unified in a desire to have maturity, or are we not unified in this? A good illustration, I think, is I remember when I went to high school, um, the thing about America is you have to legally go to high school. I'm not sure to what extent, I mean, how, how long, but, but it is by law that you have to go to school when you're in high school, when you're that age. And so you go and you find in that environment a lot of apathy because people just have to be there. They don't want to learn. They don't really want to grow. Um, they're not really interested in much. They're just there because they have to be there. But it's a beautiful thing when you go to college. It's a, it's a wonderful experience because I remember when I went to college, it was so different because when you're paying thousands upon thousands of dollars or you're begging your parents to pay thousands upon tens of thousands of hundred thousands of dollars for you to go to college and you're going there when you don't even have to go there by law, you can bet that every single person in that environment is driven and motivated. They want to they better themselves. They want to uh, grow in their knowledge. And it's a better environment to learn in because everybody there is, is completely unified in their desire to grow. And what we always have to ask ourselves is, are we more like high school or college? Do we feel like we're here because we need to be? Or are we like pumped about what God can do in our church and more specifically in our personal lives? See, why do we can be friends and we can hang out. Man, Satan, he's, he's a tricky guy, right? I mean, he, I think sometimes we can be tempted to think that things are great just because we're not fighting. But are we unified in our desire to take that next step? And I want to close with the gospel. Is that okay? Can I do that? Can I tie this to the gospel? We're talking about being a, a unified church. We're talking about being united in love and in mission. We have one mission, which is take the, to take that one hope to the world. And we realize that to do that, we have to unify our gifts to be able to do this because we're all important and we all build each other up. And, and then once we begin doing that, we realize that the ultimate goal of using our gifts is maturity in our lives and in new believers' lives. We're, we're building each other up. We're doing something. We're going somewhere. We're accomplishing something. And ultimately, we can do this because the mission of Jesus united him with our sin. The cross united Jesus with our sin. 
You see, death has, or unity has depth, right? And so what you don't realize is that on the cross, Jesus was perfectly united with the depth and the depravity of your sin that we would no longer have to bear it. You see, Jesus united himself with the depth of our sin. He united himself on the cross with the depth of your selfishness. He united, he united himself with the absolute depth of your porn addiction. He united you absolutely with the depth of your drunkenness and your addictions and the things that you just cannot seem to kick. He united himself on the cross with your sin, with your envy. He united himself with your apathy. With your inability to desire to take that next step, he united himself with your rebellion, with your addiction, with your spiritual wandering, and with all the false idols that we always seem to worship in the place of Jesus Christ. You see, on the cross, our sin was united with Jesus, that he would pay for it, that he would be united with our death, that we would not have to die that death, and then he was raised on the third day by God the Father, that we would be united with his resurrection. You see, there was much depth in unity. Christ did not die for the surface level sins, for for just things like laziness. He died for things like murder and abuse. We can be a unified church, ultimately because Christ united himself with the depth of our sin. And when he united himself with the depth of our sin, he paid for it. It's done. I don't care what you've done this morning. If we can find the strength to, by the Spirit to, to believe that he loves us, to believe that he died for us, then we're forgiven. I don't know what you did this week. I don't know how you fell. I don't know what was going on. All I can say is that Jesus loves you and that he united himself with that sin on the cross. That we could then be united with God and united with each other. I want to close just reading this one part of scripture from John chapter 17. Then I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song together and we're going to watch um, one of my favorite people, uh, Keegan, get baptized. Um, I love that kid. And I'm excited for what God's doing in his life. But I want to close by reading this. This is right before Jesus was to be crucified on the cross. This is Jesus talking to God the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples' word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Unity has depth. Let's pray. Father, we, um, God, Lord, I just confess that I love this church. I love these people. And God, 
you have big plans for every person here in this room right now. You have big plans for this church and the hope that we have. And so God, I pray you would just help us to begin to discern what that really looks like to be unified at the very core of who we are as a church. God, I thank you for the kindness in this congregation. I thank you for the patience and the gentleness. And through your Holy Spirit, I pray you would begin to translate that, God, into building a family, building a body here, God, that loves one another and that is devoted to the mission of Jesus, to the mission of the gospel. God, I pray the people of this church would give their lives to this mission. I pray they'd give their their lives to this hope. And I thank you that we get to come together and do this as a family. We ask all these things in the perfect name of Jesus. Amen. This time we're gonna sing together a song here really quick. Would you stand with us? And then we'll close with baptism. Thank mm-hmm. you.